0: Welcome to Let's Be Well Together podcast. We're your wellness check-in team. We talk about different categories of wellness and seeking balance between them. It all stems from my book, Accidentally Well. And there's overview info on our website, letsbewelltogether.com.
1: This is episode seven.
0: Here we go again, Sammy. Are you ready for another show?
2: I am ready.
0: So everyone, um, one of the... Objectives in, in this approach I'm taking, and I'm trying to explore and talk to you about and learn from you about. Uh, my theory is that there are areas of wellness, and if you want to develop an area of wellness, you need to do something. And there's so I'm trying to find out what all those things are. So I collected some bullet points, and I still am collecting bullet points. And one of them that, that, that's in the back of my book, under mental, talks about keeping an eye on your state of mind emotions and feelings Mm -hmm. so sammy you mentioned something about that
2: yeah for sure so that um that definitely like makes me think of like my own experiences with my emotions and that's something that i'm trying to get better at and being in touch with them especially like being a female my own personal experience growing up was that you shouldn't show your emotions because if you show your emotions that means that you're emotional and i put that in quotes um and being too emotional you kind of like are looking then weak to others and the word emotional has such a negative like idea to around it surrounding it for um for others so I I've heard multiple times throughout my own personal life that you know you're being too emotional you're letting your emotions get the best of you when like being emotional and and knowing what you're feeling and knowing what's going on within your body is actually more of a positive thing in on my end right like or in, in my mind, that um, you, you should be emotional. You should share your emotions, whether they're happy or mad, because if you don't, then, then you're just holding everything inside. And that's something that as I've gotten older is something I've really tried to just share my emotions and be like, this is what I'm feeling. And you're going to have to listen or understand and accept that I can be emotional. And that's not a negative thing.
0: Part of this um, is selfish in a way for me because I'm doing this in part because I want to hear from people. I want to hear their experiences. I want to talk to them. I want them to say, hey, John, you had one idea, but have you thought of this other idea? I'm already hearing a theme that I wasn't expecting. Mm. And the theme that I'm hearing fairly regularly is about things like language and stigma. Mm -hmm. And the things we say and the way we react to people is a big part of the problem. And that the more we can learn to have open com- communication the mm-hmm. more we can learn to normalize discussions about mental health about emotions
2: for sure yeah
0: not only will it be helpful but it'll make our experiences richer because we can we can have richer experiences with each other if mm-hmm. we're not holding back and afraid to be our true selves
2: definitely yeah like being aware is such like a good first step too of being like i'm aware of what i'm feeling and now let's like dive deeper to see like why am I feeling like afraid or why am I feeling anxious right now? What's, what's going on in my own surroundings that could be causing this emotion. And then you could do like the inner work. You really like have to look, look inward to see yeah. what's going on.
0: Sometimes I don't want to. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I'm afraid. Yeah. It's like, and and I think there's a little, got to be a little bit brave to, to, to explore wellness because do, yeah. it's just so much easier not to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's a problem lurking. Mm hmm. You know that there's something off emotionally. Yeah. But if you really dive into what the problem is, I, I'm i afraid it'll make me feel worse.
2: For sure, yeah. And I, I feel like um, I'm very similar where it's a lot easier said than done. Like right. if my friends come to me with a problem, I'm like, you have to do that inner work. You have to look inward what's going on in your life that's making you feel like this. But then when it comes to myself, I'm like, no, no, but like... I don't want to do that so right. <laughs> but like you have to you know if you're telling others to you know or talking with friends talking with family being like you know let's talk about your emotions more you also have to be able to look at yourself and be like okay i also need to do that and yeah it's scary for sure though
0: like, yeah yeah and and so what's frustrating me a bit now when I hear this, um, including the message you had, is mm-hmm. that, yeah, you're right. Like, I've I've heard that many times. Where she's really emotional.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, she's the kind of person that's always, you know, she, she's always getting emotional. Yeah. And that's used as a slam. It's used as a way to try and manipulate or control so that they For stop sure. doing things. But if you really think about it, like these same people who these things are being said about, they're really mm-hmm. not that emotional. Mm-hmm. Is they happen to have had a bad day.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and they're I, trying
0: to express that.
2: Definitely, yeah. And I find like it happens so much within the workplace. Like if, if you're a female, again, this is like my own personal experience, if you're a female and if you're showing any sort of like frustration or anger or anything, like someone will always say something about like you're being emotional. Maybe not like outright say you're being emotional, but like a little side comment that makes you feel like, put down because you're the female in a room of men. You right? Or mostly men and uh and and you can't show those emotions and because it you almost like lose your power, which like power is such a difficult thing. And like I, I don't personally think that power should be like a thing within our, our society, even though like that's impossible. But, you know, to be equal with everyone. But yeah, like that's something I've experienced is just you feel like you lose that power. You feel weak. You feel helpless because you can't share your emotions and, or show your emotions within the workplace.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I keep saying yeah, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to spell. <laughs> The It's hard because you're right. I've seen so many passive-aggressive anti-female statements
2: mm-hmm. in
0: that context, mm-hmm. um, in meetings and, and whatnot. And frankly, if I really think about it, a lot of times I didn't recognize it. Right. I didn't even notice it mm-hmm. because that's just the way the world worked. And when I say it's hard, one of the hard things I'm going through is I'm trying to see more clearly what's happening around me. I, mm-hmm. and I'm not jumping down people's throats. I'm not being judgmental, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to change my own behavior. And it's difficult sometimes to see... What you're expressing you know so right, yeah. i think that's why again why it's so important that we start having these open conversations and, mm-hmm. and you know in my workplace and i'm sure in many others there's been work in the last bunch of years to try and figure out what systemic discrimination looks like for sure how yeah. is it taking form
2: mm-hmm.
0: how is it influencing decisions on who pe- who moves up and and whatnot so right so we have a lot of work to do in these areas
2: definitely yeah and awareness again is always like the first step, right? The fact that you're aware of what's going on and you're you're actively trying to think of like, you know, what could be done differently is like such a great thing to do because there's not a lot of people, especially within like, you know, being a white male that, that always want to do that. So, you know, around me, I'm seeing it more and more every day that people are wanting to learn and wanting to do better and asking questions. Because it's, it's really hard to understand different people's experiences.
0: Yeah, yeah, so I would add one of the bullet points, I think, that goes on each of these elements, I think, is this message I'm hearing more and more often is we have to better describe experiences. We have to be more open at mm-hmm. describing experiences. We have to normalize a discussion on these points. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to find ways to describe them more completely. And then only then, if, if people do truly want to learn, then they can start to learn.
2: Right. But until exactly. we have the
0: language for it, until we have the mm-hmm. openness. hmm And in the meantime, you know, uh, let's face it, you, you are going to face that same problem for many years to come.
2: For sure, yeah.
0: So, but I do hope that through awareness and you recognizing what's happening and mm-hmm. recognizing how it's making you feel, um, it might be, you know, you might be able to get through the experience. Mm-hmm. A little less bad. I'm not yeah. going to say good. <laughs> I'm not yeah, going to yeah. say well. Yeah. But maybe maybe it can mitigate the impact of when people treat you like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Or even like standing up when you see it happening. Maybe not directly to you, but to someone else. Being like, hey, what you just said was very misogynist. You know what I mean? Like, just say that to yeah. someone. Yeah. No,
0: I, I get that. I Yeah.
2: Ha- not you know, not we all right. have our
0: weaknesses. And mm-hmm. one of my weaknesses is in, in those contexts, I don't want to be confrontational. Yeah. Maybe there would be a way. Maybe I do need to think about if I need to have a private conversation with somebody afterwards and right. say, here's how I took that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, maybe not ascribe intent, maybe not be lecturing them, but to, just so you know, the way, when you said what you said, yeah, it sounded passive aggressive. Yeah, It sounded like, you know, the kind of thing you'd say to a woman to try and
2: put them put down, them down mm-hmm. keep
0: them in their place. Yeah, And that I consider that person an equal. Mm-hmm. And that's her place, so. Yeah. so don't put her down. Yeah, anyway, don't do I don't know. I'll, I'll try. Uh, that's all I can say.
2: That's all you got to do. Give your best.
0: Guests are giving their time. Expanding our minds. Okay, so today we are in the realm of physical wellness, and we're talking to some of the people who brought Parkrun to Kitchener. So what is Parkrun? We'll find out. I met Julia Hyans and Jonathan Gasho when I started attending Park Run at Victoria Park in Kitchener a couple months back. Julia is a leisure runner. She was attracted to Park Run for its inclusive nature and community feel. She started attending events when she visited her sister in London, England, and that's where Park Run started, and she was excited to hear Park Run had arrived in Canada. She looked forward to a local event and eventually helped make that happen. She's a registered midwife, currently on parental leave, keeping busy with her six-month-old child. Jonathan Gashow is a local runner and a Wilfrid Laurier University graduate. WLU is in Waterloo, and Kitchener-Waterloo are side-by-side cities. Jonathan became involved in parkrun to help remove the barriers that lead people to think that they're not and can never be called a runner. He lives in Waterloo and works at the Running Room, which sells all things running-related. He's another person who helped bring Park Run to KW. So thank you both for joining us today. Let's start with the basics. Julia, how would you describe Park Run as an event? What do people do?
3: Um, so Park Run is a event that happens every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. across the world um, in many different countries. Um, it is a run, walk event, um, whereby it's a five kilometer event, Every every event is. Um, and it's meant to, um, encourage people to be outside, to be at their local park and to, um, and to develop their running skills or walking skills. So, um, it is a timed event, um, so people can compare their times week by week, um, and it is, um, free. Um, so there is no cost to participate and minimal equipment required. And, um, the idea is that it's accessible to as many people as possible.
0: Okay. So, so... Who, if I asked who could participate, the answer would be everybody.
3: That's right. Yeah, we encourage anybody to participate. Um, you can register so that you um, have a barcode so that you can um, be emailed your results week by week. Um, but to be honest, sometimes people don't even register and join us. Um, but, um, but yeah, we've had young, old, um, really anybody is welcome to join us.
0: And so Jonathan if somebody did want to register l- l- well let's start by if someone wanted to find a park run how can you find and then register for a park run
4: So you can hop on to parkrun.ca I guess that would be parkruns in Canada uh, parkrun.com you can see the whole map they've got them all over the place uh, UK South Africa Australia you know you can you can find one just about anywhere There surprisingly aren't that many in the United States yet, uh, if there are some American listeners. Uh, But if you wanted to register for our Parkrun, you go to parkrun.ca slash register, and you find Victoria Parkrun Kitchener.
0: Okay, and in staying with you, Jonathan, for a minute, uh, what do you see as some of the benefits of Parkrun for participants? Um, I think
4: the biggest benefits of Parkrun for participants is it's a low stakes event that uh, you can build your training weeks around. So if you, if you're someone who was running on their own, maybe once a week ish, and just kind of hard to uh, make time for it. Parkrun is a place where you can, you know, when it starts, you know that there's going to be people there.
0: All right, well, l- let me just interrupt you there for a sec because one thing I wanted to mention was, so so my own experience was I couldn't do park runs. so I'd heard about it on Marathon Talk, the, the podcast. I couldn't do it because um, it's self-imposed because I was doing long runs on Saturday morning and it's always on Saturday morning, but I kept hearing about it and I kept wanting to do it, and so eventually, recently, I, I switched up my training so I could go, and um, I was surprised. So I've kind of always just run by myself, so it was really interesting to start running with other people. What are some of the ways for either of you, what are some of the ways that it kind of works in a community spirit way when you're you're with other people walking and running and enjoying the day with other people? Julia, maybe you could start.
3: Sure. Um, so yeah, the idea is that um, it is a community event first and foremost. Um, so um, at the beginning we do a briefing um, whereby we introduce um, generally people who are, you know, hitting a milestone event, which is generally like 50 or 100 events. Um, we introduce people who um, might have traveled to the event from um, overseas or from farther away in Canada um, and just try to kind of like build that sense of just um, more than just faces, like actually meeting people Um Prior to COVID, we also after the event would invite people to go for coffee afterwards, um, and we look forward to returning to that hopefully in the near future. Um, but that was a great community building aspect as well. Um, and then I did think like we just really try to be as welcoming as possible, encourage people um, as they're as they're doing the event, and. Um, Yeah, I think the non-competitive nature also speaks to um, the community feel of it. At least it did for me um, because I'm not a competitive runner in any way. Um, So I think that that part of it just instantly for me, and this is a very personal experience, but maybe people might relate. Some of your listeners might relate, but it just really made me feel welcome that it wasn't a competition against other people. It was like just for my own, um, like my own improvement. Um, And that really made me feel like I was part of a community in an interesting way.
0: Yeah. And and one of the things I saw when I I was looking on the Park Run site, they talked about increased physical activity, socialization and mutual support. And so, Jonathan, on that last issue, we're talking about community. um, what, What have you seen in terms of when you're either your own experiences or watching others on the kind of mutual support side of it?
4: Um, everyone in Park Run is very supportive of other runners. So uh, as people go around, they get nice little cheers, um, and just at the at the finish, people hang around for quite a while just to just to talk and uh, catch up on with, with people who you haven't seen in maybe a week or so. Sometimes we get other people from uh, who live in other places. So we had lost some some of our Guelph park runners when the guelph event started up and every once in a while we get to see them again because they they stop in to see their uh their original crew and it's it's just really nice i quite miss the the coffee part of this that we haven't had uh since we restarted in august um but looking forward to having that again, because that was, that was my favorite part of the event. You know, we finished the run and then we'd walk over to, to the coffee shop and sit down and just have nice conversations. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there for now. I've got more stuff after, but
0: yeah, um, sir. Great. Yeah. Cause the other thing too, that I noticed is that you often get, I mean, I've been to maybe four or five and I've already met people from England and New Zealand um, it seems like people from other parts of the country come and travel and stop at park run in, in Kitchener yeah so Julie tell me a little bit about how, how there's kind of this international park run group
3: yeah so park Run's pretty well known in many places of the world specifically um, the UK um, Europe um, South Africa is a big place and um, Australia New Zealand um, would I would say they're the most common um, but that um, we've had people participate from other areas but um there's quite a there's quite a drive for many um avid park runners to you know um check off events from their master list so i know there's also these like little competitions people do like you know um doing the A to Z parkrun challenge where you do an event that starts with A, an event that starts with B all around the world and um, inevitably you're going to meet people at your event um, that have traveled in Kitchener Waterloo being a city that attracts um, a lot of people to the Perimeter Institute and other Oktoberfest, other sort of celebrations that we have. Um, we do have travelers that come in and they know about Park Run and they make it a point to um, come and um, participate on a Saturday morning because they know it's consistent and it will be what they expect. Um, and yeah, it's just great. Um, I've met, I've, we've met like so many people, um, particularly again before COVID, um, but so many people that way. It's really interesting and you get to hear about their lives and their event where they come from and see the similarities and differences.
0: Yeah. And, and so on a switching gears, Jonathan, I I was talking to you at one of the events and you mentioned how things kind of changed for you in terms of your approach to, to park run and running, how when initially when you were thinking about setting it up, you saw it as a way to get competition going um, at no cost and then things changed. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
4: Yeah. When I started looking into it, I was, I was focusing more on uh having opportunities to race and doing it cost efficiently uh, because if you sign up for a race, it typically is going to cost you between, I don't know, 20 and 50 bucks, maybe more, depending on the, on the distance that you like to race and the size of the event. But uh, I found that I didn't have enough money to race as much as I wanted to. And I thought, well, look at these events in, uh, in the UK and all over the world. And we don't have one here in Canada. So, uh, I was kind of looking to get into it from that side, but as we started doing them, uh, we'd have some runners who would run it quite quickly, but I found that it's not so much, uh, the competitiveness, like being, uh, beating someone else in a race, versus running fast with them like you can you can pursue excellence without uh needing to beat someone in order to to feel good about yourself you can both run well together and running is one of those sports that it is quite cooperative if you uh have the right frame of mind to do that and i think that's a it's a very important component of wellness not feeling Mm -hmm. the need to compare yourself to others quite so much and parkrun I think, achieves that goal quite well.
0: Yeah, and I, I really believe that one of the things I need to do personally to improve my running is to start running more in groups, kind of because of the reason you're saying. Um, I, I feel like runners feed off each other. Um, you, you get pushed a little harder because you're trying to keep up, but by the same token, you're also encouraged and, and you kind of work off each other, and it's a great feeling. Um I did have one experience that, that really drove that home, which was I one time, so I'm usually trying to do a race like a half marathon or something like that, trying to get a certain time and pushing myself. But uh, on one occasion I paced somebody else. So they had a goal and I paced them and, and it was an amazing experience. And that's kind of that feeding off experience. Um, So you guys were part of the team that brought park run to Kitchener. Uh, Who were some of the other people? And then, and then I'm going to ask you after that is, is like without, going through a point by point by point. What were some of the challenges and how did you, how did you you get get the park run here? So Julie, who are some of the other people?
3: Um, so some of the other people involved. Um, so um, Ola Mbifa, um, him and his family have been very involved with park runs since the first day we started and helping get it off the floor. Um, he couldn't make it today, but, um, he, uh, yeah, he was very instrumental in making that, um, happen. Um, the money family, um, uh, they are, um, Kathy, Steve, and Sarah. Um, Sarah was involved kind of in the early planning stages and Kathy and Steve are probably our most dedicated volunteers that we've had since the beginning. Um, they have maybe done ninety percent of our events, and that might even be a low estimate. So, um, yeah, the Percival family. Um, it's interesting how so many families have been a part of it. Um, and yeah, there's been many other people that have um, Mark Harrison, I, Aiden. Like, yeah, I don't mean to put <laughs> you, know, you, on you the just spot. keep going, and it's hard to so and hard and to well, not want to miss anybody. But um, no. but yeah, lots of people, mm-hmm. and. and
0: um, we'll come back to volunteers. So I want to make sure we, we talk about volunteers and how people can volunteer. Um, Jonathan, what were a couple, maybe of the, the the challenges that you guys had to overcome to, to get this going?
4: So I guess the first one was in deciding on a location for the events and how to fit five kilometers of uninterrupted uh, trail into one, one spot uh, because there were lots of issues with uh, You can't have you know vehicles crossing the road and uh just making it as simple as possible for the volunteers and event organizers to put the thing on every week um and we ended up settling on victoria park for a couple of reasons um but uh yeah there was there was that and then we also had uh, had to get permissions from from landowners and there's there's a lot of confusion about, like, you know, who even, uh, who even is the right person at the city to talk to about this. Um, so there was there were there were quite a few things that we had to that we had to go through. Uh, Julia did almost all the work. So <laughs> thank you, Julia.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to thank you guys too because I'm really enjoying it. And if it's not if it's not for people like you guys taking initiative, um, we don't get to enjoy these kind of things. Please join us next week for part two of our Park Run interview.
1: I'm Cameron, and this is The Starving Artist. One of my favorite parts of being a musician is being in studio. You get to make great music, often with your friends, and inevitably some good laughs and good stories come out of it as well. Every time Shy Harry goes into the studio, there's at least one scenario where we're all belly laughing as hard as we possibly can, every time. It's, it's just, studio is a great place to be. Often when we go to the studio, the way it works is the band gets together, and then Ryan, our drummer, will throw down a drum track to a click or without, and then we take our turns building our instrument takes on top of the drums. It's sort of the modern method. We've also done the live off-the-floor setup. Set Uh, And that's where each instrument plays simultaneously, the old-school way of recording. Each of these two methods has some ups and downs, um, benefits and drawbacks to both. But the story I want to share with you today is from an outside-the-box recording that we did that's up there in one of the most, I'd say, top five atypical recording scenarios I've ever experienced. So last winter, at the height of the COVID pandemic, Shy Harry wanted to put out a cover of the Rolling Stones' You Can't Always Get What You Want. A fitting song for the times, to be sure. But we were having a hard time nailing down studio access because of the COVID restrictions. We were feeling pretty put off by it all, until our friend Paul Dokas approached us, and Paul was a recording student at the time. He needed a band to record for a project, and since we wanted to do a recording, it worked out just perfectly. Sounds great, right? They needed a band, we needed a place to record, ta-da. End of story. But not so. This is where it starts to get interesting. So, like I said, normally when we go to the studio, we'd all go together and then take our turns playing our instruments. But because of the COVID restrictions, we couldn't all be in the studio at the same time. To make things even more interesting, we didn't have a huge block of time where we had access to the studio. We only had access for a couple hours at a time every couple of weeks. So when you add all these factors together, it meant that only one band member could be in the studio at one time. You couldn't be there at the same time as your bandmates. And because we only had small windows of time to use the studio, only two guys would have time to go in any given session. Furthermore, the studio was in London, and since we were in Cambridge at the time, that meant there was a drive on either end. And because it was the dead of winter, well, maybe you see where this is going. So the first shift, the first half of the band to go, was Ryan, drums, and Eric, guitar and lead vocals. So they drove off to London, and Ryan laid down some drum tracks for an hour and a half or so, while Eric sat in the car and froze his butt off. And then they switched. Eric laid down some tracks while Ryan sat in the car and froze his butt off. And then they drove back to Cambridge. And then the next week, Grant, bassist, and I had to go and do the same thing. So Grant rolls in, He does his playing for bass for a while while I freeze myself in the car, and then we switch, and then we drive back. And we had to do that, I think we had four different sessions of shift work like that, where one guy was in the car just freezing, one guy was in the studio trying to get a nice good take, and the other two guys were back home. So we recorded this entire cover without once being in the studio at the same time as the other guys. After a few revisions and the nightmare of trying to organize how to get there and fix anything that needed to be fixed we eventually got the track completed and it ended up sounding pretty good but uh, the interesting part about it is we still haven't released it and I don't know if we ever will anyway, that's all I've got for you today I'm Cameron, this is The Starving Artist until next time
0: If you like what we're doing and enjoy the show, please spread the word about us. Connect with us on social media. We post regularly on our Instagram account, including show previews and takeaways after a show is aired. Feel free to comment and send us your thoughts. Follow our Instagram account. It's at let's lets.be.well.together. We do have a Facebook and Twitter page, but Instagram is our primary social media site. Please also subscribe to us, And rate us on your favorite podcast platform.
5: Move that body like we're meant to do.
6: Move that body. Here we are today, gonna talk about Julie and what I like to do in my spare time. Yeah, what
0: is your go to um, move that body?
6: So, John, I love to walk. If I could, I could, I would walk everywhere. Unfortunately, my distance between my house and my workplace is uh, 401, so I don't have that option to walk to work. But if I could, um, I, I used to live in Ottawa and I worked on the hill and I lived in the Glebe area. So anyone who knows Ottawa um, knows the Glebe, How the distance from the Glebe to Parliament Hill. I can tell you, John, I never once, took a bus, any type of transportation, I always walked. And I tell you, there is nothing better at the end of the day walking home and clearing your head.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And one of the themes that we keep echoing over and over, and, and by the way, um, Sheila and I, that's our go-to as well, which we'll hear on a different Move Your Body. Uh, love walking. And the thing for me is every time I had a really good long-term getting back into shape situation where I had to get back in shape every single time it started from walking.
6: It does. It's It's, incredible. walking. I would
0: start going out for kind of a couple kilometer walk. Eventually I was going out for a five kilometer walk. And that's what eventually got me to say, okay, I'm ready to do the other things I need to do. I believe like my own personal belief is that even if, you know, for people who can walk, some people can't, but for people who can walk, um, if that's the only thing they do, so if they walk five times a week, six times a week for for a nice long walk, that that would be an amazing, great start to be staying healthy
6: yes. for everyday life. Yeah. And even if you can't, you mentioned about even if you can't get out to, um, to walk, just even being outside and being, you know, around trees or in a forest, which makes me think of during COVID, um, one of the ways that I thought... I, You know, our family has to get out and do something. We're stuck in this house together. And one of the ways just that we could be mentally healthy together is going out for walks. And so every day, I would say to my boys, who are 17 and 13, so you can imagine trying to drag (laughs) two boys out for a walk. But I said, I was very adamant about it. I said, we are going for a walk. So every day around dinner time or just before dinner, sometimes it was after, but typically it was just before, we would go out for a walk. And the conversations we had, just how good we would end up coming back in the house and we'd be laughing. And it was a great experience. And we were out, you know, and getting fresh air. It did wonders for our family.
0: That just reminded me. So my favorite podcast is Marathon Talk. I was out for a run Yesterday, and I was listening to an interview, and it was of a woman who started an organization. Um, she had experienced some mental health issues, and so she started a running group. And I, unfortunately, I can't remember the name of it. But essentially, they just welcome anybody who wants to to come out for a run. Right. And they don't pace themselves. They make sure they stay together. But here's the point. What she said was, when she was going through a really bad experience with an eating disorder and couldn't talk to anybody about it Um, her mother said come on let's go for a run and they would run together and she found that she could talk about it while she was running when she couldn't talk about it when she wasn't and then the host uh, martin yelling pointed out that he'd read studies that showed that a lot of people are willing and apt to talk about things when they're out for a walk out for a run out for exercise that they don't often talk about. So that's a really interesting point with you and your sons.
6: Exactly. Like they open up. I think you often hear about, you know, if you want to open up a conversation with your kids, sit them in a car and drive somewhere. I think it's the same type of thing, right? That you're not looking at each other. You're walking side by side You know, you're looking around, seeing the world, seeing what's going on, and just one or two words, it might open up a conversation. And yeah, because it is difficult sometimes, um, you know, to look at someone and have a a difficult conversation, but you're moving your body and, you know, you're not looking at the person. So maybe it's a similar type of concept. It makes
0: sense in the car. And the other thing too, that you're reminding me of, we're going to keep saying this. I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying this. Dr. Lafayette. During the the mental health first aid first aid training course, mentioned that um, studies show that if you walk through a forest, it lowers your like it affects the chemistry of your body and it lowers your cortisol level. Cortisol is a chemical that's generated by stress, and walking that's through right. a forest reduces the cortisol level. So it literally de-stresses you because it's affecting you on a chemical level. I don't know how it works, but that's what she let us know.
6: I remember her saying that. So you know what? I think tonight I'm going to go out for a walk.
0: Excellent. There's a thought popped up while running. So this isn't technically a thought that popped up, but it was something kind of amusing uh, that I was thinking about when I was out for a run. So there was a time when I was out for runs where, where I would take photos once in a while. I was more active on social media at the time. And um, it was always tricky. You'd have to figure out some way to prop the phone up against a post or a rock or something, maybe a curb. Uh, and I had, on my watch, I was able to, so I'd walk back, you know, who knows, 50 feet, whatever. And then on my watch, I could push a button and there was a timer and I would start running and then click, click, click. And so I'd probably do that a couple of times and hope that a picture worked. And, um, you know, I did get some pretty good pictures over time. Uh, So one time I was out and as another story, I never actually wore the shirt I got when I did my first marathon. So normally when you do a run, uh, some kind of run that's, um, you know, like a formal run, they give you a t-shirt of some sort. And in this case, it was a long sleeve shirt. It's quite colourful, um, but it just, for whatever reason, I just didn't think it would suit me, so I never wore it. In fact, I even gave it away at one point, and then the people gave it back, saying, I can't take this, it's a marathon shirt, So, which I thought was odd, that's fine. So I decided, for whatever reason, on that same day to wear that shirt. So I'm out for a run, it was a nice fall day, I end up on a road with lots of trees along the side of it, I'm trucking along, and I see that there's a bridge, and Lo and behold, there's a perfect place to set an iPhone. So I decide to stop. So I stopped to put it on the phone, the phone on the bridge. But it just happened to be there was almost no houses anywhere. It was on the outskirts of town in a bit of a rural area. But sure enough, there was a house pretty close to the bridge. And so if I look to my right, I was staring right at the driveway in the house. And of course, people start coming out to go to their car and do stuff. And I'm thinking, oh man, they're going to think, who's this idiot? What's he doing? Like putting something on a phone. Then he walks backwards and he starts running. Then he walks backwards and then he starts running towards the bridge again. Maybe we better call somebody for help. But I decided to keep doing it anyway. And I took off. Well, it turns out that that's probably the favorite picture I ever had. and In fact, it's the one that's on the cover of my book. So just goes to show that sometimes a little embarrassment and trying something a little funny can work out in a good way
5: Um, so today we are going to be talking about dance
0: dance with me i got two left feet true
5: that is true but we're not we're going to talk about balance and how i relate dance balance to life balance
0: It, it was really interesting we were out for a walk it was a really cold day i remember and Sheila said something, and it was another one of these kind of aha moments. Um, it's so hard with balance to try and articulate these thoughts about wellness and balance between all these categories.
5: Right. So John was talking about it, and it I was decided to tell him about my balancing experience in dance and how it kind of relates to wellness. So when I was younger and I was trying to balance, I always felt like it was something that I was trying to grab hold of, that I had to be still and strong, and I would get the balance. But then later on, older and more advanced and more experienced, I realized that it wasn't something that I can hold on to and grab. I had to feel everything around me and constantly move and that my center of gravity was changing, especially when I was turning or moving, just everything can change your balance. By the people around you, by the air moving, by your center of gravity is just so you have to be constantly aware of yourself and constantly change to get balance.
0: What blew me away from that was uh, at a certain point I was trying to figure out a way to, as Sheila said, hit that spot. I thought there was a formula so I could identify the categories and then I could identify how to maximize wellness in each of those areas or at least in a balanced way between all of them. And once I hit that spot, boom, I would be there. hmm and meanwhile, then as I developed my thinking, I realized it's over the course of a lifetime you're trying to get balance. And at different times, you have to focus on different categories.
5: Exactly. And balance is always changing.
0: And your life circumstances are continually changing.
5: And that's why you got to keep checking in.
0: In part. And, and what I really liked about that way of thinking too is that it's not a spot. No. It's not like you're trying to get somewhere... And then you've arrived. Mm-hmm. You're trying to achieve balance in a moment
5: mm-hmm.
0: and then the next.
5: Mm-hmm. And it's then very the next. fluid. Mm-hmm.
0: You're, you're holding balance in a way, but it's ever changing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it Just when, I, when you said it to me, I thought about you doing a, a spin, mm-hmm. but it could be in any move. Yep. And the point was, at any point in the spin, you're adjusting to all these different variables. So many. But you're staying on point.
5: Mm hmm. On balance. Yep.
0: And so I just, uh, you know, it was one of those really cool moments and I wanted to chat about it because it, it, it articulates things in a way that I was having a really hard, hard time articulating.
5: Mm hmm. Yeah. But I do want to say that in dance, you have the technique, you still have to develop and and build the technique in order to do the move before, you know, you have to work on your balance. Just like in your wellness, you've got all your categories and you have to make sure that you know yourself and your categories and then you can start focusing on balancing them all together. And that's the same with dance.
0: That's a great addition. I hadn't thought of that. So what, what, what thing, here's what I think you're saying. So you have to have these building blocks, these dance moves, and so you're, you're doing your move, whatever it happens to be. You're trying to keep balance. Um, some condition hits you. And you know, because of the basic move you have already, your body just adjusts and it has that move at the ready and right. you keep your balance.
5: Right. So what I'm saying though, is like the technique itself, you need to learn it first. Right. You need to know what you're doing and how to do it and what makes it work. And then when you're there, you're working on the balance and how to adjust to all the other variables that can hit
0: you. Because you don't have time in that moment no. to go back to your book and say, what is technique should I use right now? It just has to kick in. Yes. Yes. And that, so that I do think you're right, it helps in terms of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do these building blocks where we're strengthening, I'm trying to strengthen each of my areas of wellness. Right. I'm trying to figure out what activities and what things I can do to do that. So those are the building blocks. The hope is that a lot of them will be there, like muscle memory, Mm -hmm. so that when the next phase hits and I'm trying to keep my balance and I face something to do with financial those ones kick in. Mm -hmm. If I hit another one that has to do with a mental, something else kicks in. So that's a a really another great addition. Yeah, it's really
5: cool. It's an artistic way to think about wellness.
0: (laughs) And another, we can end it on saying, see, art is really important to wellness. Please remember that we're not providing advice. We hope to inspire you to work towards balance and we urge you to consult with qualified people if you need advice. The people on the show are speaking in their personal capacities. Their views expressed are their own and don't represent the views or opinions of their outside contacts, their employers or anyone else. We try to get things right, but we can't guarantee everything we say is correct or that the things we talk about will work for you. Let's be well together and let's be sure to do that in a safe way.
5: So that is the end of our show. Sammy, tell us about your weekend skiing adventure.
2: Yeah, it was uh, pretty crazy. It's my first time since I was probably 12. So I was definitely terrified. And I didn't think I was that scared until I got to the top. And I was like, I'm terrified. What about getting on the ski lift? Yeah. So the ski lift um, was honestly like I started on the magic carpet. Oh. And we started there. And that's where I had a full on panic attack. (laughs) I was just worried. What is a magic carpet? It's like like where you you just walk on, and then it's like it kind of like an escalator,
5: almost. So it to your skis,
2: and it like zooms you up. Okay, and you're not holding anything. No, you're just oh, you're you're just just on this escalator. It's for like the the very the three year olds. Yeah, (laughs) the three year olds were were lapping circles around me. They were killing it. I was not okay.
0: But when you started, I did the fear reside go away pretty quickly. Yeah,
2: yeah. The reason I had this fear was because when I was twelve, I had a very bad experience where I like tumbled down the hill and ended up in trees so um I I didn't realize like I was holding on to that like childhood trauma I guess (laughs) so then I got up there and I was like I am very nervous um Uh but once I calmed down and I went down then I was good I fell twice but uh, took it very slow and David was a very good coach Excellent. Yeah. What do you got going on this week, Sheila?
5: Well, I actually went today. um, I took my sister from her birthday to um, the Monet exhibit. It's an interactive um, and there was a yoga that you could sign up for. So we did that, um, which was really fun. It was a very relaxed, like yin yang without the yin like it was right. all yang yeah. <laughs> but um it was cool because the music was nice and the you know the mm-hmm. was good but because it is daylight savings time we were leaving at 6 30 in the morning which was really 5 30 in the morning right. so yeah. it was an early day it's march break this week so i'm really hoping to enjoy the weather because i think it's going to be really beautiful out so i'm going to try mm-hmm. and, and go outside as much as possible what about you john
0: Well, I was supposed to start training this week, my training program for the Waterloo Half Marathon. And what that means is there's something called quality sessions when you're running. Um, So kind of you can go out and just do a relaxed run, which I often do. And then a quality session would be something where you mix in hills or high intensity, short spurts, that kind of thing. I didn't do that. I did get a nice run in on Tuesday, but then I had a bit of sniffles, wasn't feeling great. So I took Thursday off. So it's weird with running. Like I've done so much distance running. And yet, if I don't go a certain distance for a while, my mind says, oh, no, you can't do it anymore. Mm. And so I was kind of heading into the weekend feeling a little nervous. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do park run on Saturday, which I did. And it's just under 5k from her house. So I ran there. Um, you wait a few minutes to start and then did the park run mm-hmm. and then talked to a few people and then ran home. So that was just under 15k. And then today I ran 14k. So I'm getting my confidence back. So I know yeah. I'm good. I can get the I can get the training so but I just I cannot motivate myself to eat right, do my core and do my quality sessions. So I'm hoping for some magic this week.
2: I think the sunshine might bring that. Yes.
0: Maybe. Yeah, like today <laughs> I was out there and it's snowy and mm-hmm. just because right now it's it's kind of in between melting and not melting. So you're running along and the next thing you know you're on 2 inches of snow, your feet are slipping. Yeah. Then you're on sidewalk then you're in puddles, Mm -hmm. then you're on ice, then you're on snow. And um, frankly, you just kind of tune it out and keep going. But it definitely has an impact. You slow down and it's not as fun.
5: Yeah. Well, I think you shouldn't be so hard on yourself because you probably were sick this week and you just didn't know it. Mm. You know, so you did really well with what you've done.
0: No, I'm really happy. And especially today, like I have been having a hard time on the weekends. I kind of eat too much and don't do very much. And so this is the first weekend in a long time where I had two really decent runs. So I'm really happy.
5: Okay. But Hey, what about the podcast? Have you heard from anyone besides Cheryl, our one loyal listener who has (laughs) given us some feedback? Have you heard from anyone else?
0: Well, (laughs) I have heard from a couple family members, which is great. True. Um, And they have talked to me Mm -hmm. and we're hearing good stuff, but it is tough, right? Like we're just sitting back, not knowing Mm -hmm. if people are enjoying it, Mm -hmm. if they're getting anything from it. If they're like, hey, keep doing this. We want yeah, more sessions. Yeah, I feel sessions. like we're
5: sending it out to the universe and it just is keep, it's keep, it's out there. But it's not coming back.
0: <laughs> Cricket feedback. Yeah. So anyway, if, if anyone is out there and if anyone hears this, mm-hmm. jump onto our Instagram page, let's together, and drop us a, a comment or a note or something. And, mm, uh, or let,
5: rating or anything.
0: Yeah, or rate us or or. Drop some input, ask us a question. Mm -hmm. We'd love to hear from you.
5: Mm -hmm. That is it for today's show. Please try and make wellness a priority.
0: You deserve it. If you feel the need to talk to someone or ask for help, please do that.
2: Accept yourself for the person you are. So long.
0: Adieu. Auf Wiedersehen.
2: Goodbye.